0: Welcome to the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada, a podcast about ex-cadet women mentoring and building community together. I'm your host, Amanda Calhouse, a graduate of the Royal Military College of Canada, class of 1994 in electrical engineering. All right, so good evening. Today I have with me uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sarah LeMay. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, This is season four of the Women's Mentoring Network of Canada podcast. And I'm really excited to talk to you and hear a little bit about your experiences um, over the last, you know, I guess, couple of decades. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we'll start off by uh, telling our listeners, you know, who you are and where you went to school and when.
1: Yeah, so like you said, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Sarah LeMay, I went to RMC in Kingston following a first year of uh, RMC in Saint-Jean as prep year, and I finished in 2008 with a Bachelor's of Chemical Engineering.
0: Awesome. And what's your military occupation?
1: So I'm still an aerospace engineer. I didn't join as an aerospace engineer as we had talked about uh, a few weeks ago but I've only been trained to be an aerospace engineer and that's really I've really enjoyed it.
0: So right now, you know, I've I said your rank, but what are you, what what are you doing right now? What's your what's your day job?
1: <laughs> yeah, so currently I'm the uh I just took over a couple weeks ago as the commanding officer of 400 Tactical Helicopter Squadron at CFB Borden. Our main mandate is to do second line maintenance for the CH-146 Griffin helicopter in support of tactical aviation and
0: one wing. Awesome. Congratulations on the new appointment. Thanks. That's fantastic. And you sort of alluded to the fact that you didn't technically start out in in the airy trade so what what was it that um prompted you to go to military college in the first place and and what was that original offer for
1: yeah so um I don't come from a military family at all um I didn't to be honest growing up really know that military career was an option until my oldest sister of four siblings I'm the youngest she's the oldest uh, she started dating a guy who was uh, going to RMC and you no, know, it, it's it's fun to say that she's now 20 years married with that same uh, individual but um, yeah so I, I remember when I was 13 at the time and he'd come for dinner and just started talking about what he was doing and that's really what piqued my curiosity. And so as years went by, it gave me an opportunity to ask questions to him and to realize that this was something that I could maybe try. So I was 16 when I joined and I had oh, wow. to get my parents to sign Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, my parents knew nothing about it, but my brother-in-law just said like, why don't you just give her a shot and they did and I'm really glad they did um, yeah
0: yeah oh my goodness what was it that you were originally offered um at the recruiting um, center
1: I was originally offered logistics officer um I really wanted to be an airy and I remember kind of asking him like you know this is what they offered me what should I do and he just said to me there'll be opportunities for you to request a change. So you should just take it. And I was like, I knew, I knew nothing better. So I was like, okay, (laughs) why not? But I didn't even put a day of logistical training in my, you know, as soon as I was offered the opportunity in, I think the first half of first year at RMC, Mm I, I asked to switch and I was approved
0: my occupation change and I did that. So that was Really good. Oh, that's awesome. And so, so in, you know, so you're, you've, you've been in for 20 years. So obviously, at some point, you made a decision to stay (laughs) and not to leave. How, how did you come to that decision? And, you know, were there different, were, you know, was it a single point in time where you had to decide to sign the IE or how, how did that go for you?
1: For, for me, I've always, been and even today you know when asked like what's what's the goal I I I don't think I've ever had one in terms of this is my goal it's always been you know do I still enjoy it am I still being challenged do I still feel like this is something that I can contribute to and for me the, that answer has always been yes. I'm not everything is always perfect, but mm-hmm. um there's been more there's still a lot more things that I enjoy about it than things that I don't. And so as long as I feel like that's still the same, I haven't seen anything else that I would be even interested to try so far. So yeah, I'm I'm still happy to be committed to this. I don't know that there was a point where Obviously when I when I had to resign my contract I I kind of weighed in the balance of like all the the good points and bad points for me it was the the contract meant more to just say like this is something I still want to do mm-hmm. and what I was really the risk of not enjoying myself 8 years down the road didn't seem to be that significant in terms of benefits that would be lost if this was... Right if I really ended up in a space where I really didn't want to do it at the 20 year mark, for example. Right. Um, but yeah, I I felt like this was an organization that I blended well into that. I was able to make the, you know, impart the changes, have an influence that I was interested in maintaining. And, you know, even over these last few years where things haven't always been as, uh, glamorous from the outside um I've always felt like I could bring more by staying in to push the yardstick forward
0: it's a it's an uh an interesting perspective right about you know how and where you can make change right Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit you and I talked before this about, you know, being a married service couple and, you know, some of the things that has involved for you in terms of sacrifices that you are and are not willing to make. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So as you, as you mentioned, I am a service couple. My husband is a artillery Lieutenant Colonel. Um, he's a graduate of 2005. Um, And so our relationship really began in 2007, um, and, you know, when I finished my ARRI training, I was able to get posted to Valguercy where he was, Uh, and since then, you know, for us, it's been key to keep us together. We were prepared to compromise on probably a lot of things in terms of posting cycles, but um, not we were not interested in doing imposed restrictions Um, and now we have three kids Mm -hmm. and for us, you know, even before having kids, but even more so after having kids, I always felt like if we were able to keep ourselves together, then we could deal much better with, uh, you know, short-term taskings, deployments. Um, And even for my kids, that stability was key for me in making sure that they can build some resiliency around postings and such, but that we were always always had one single home.
0: Right. Um
1: and and not having a parent that was outside of the geographical area. So, you know, we've we've had our fair share of postings. Um I think we counted in this is posting number seven. Um which you know we've had two year two one year postings in there a couple wow. two year postings so it it does take a toll but f- but again we were willing to compromise on that um and not the rest yeah um, so it's always about some give and take um we always try to prepare the next posting as soon as we get into a posting yeah. to make sure that we're putting our pieces where they need to be and start having, you know, um, discussions about what can happen next and, but always coming together and deciding, okay, which cards or where do we want to go next and making sure that that message is common across the artillery and the area community to, to ensure that there's no confusion as to what we want to do.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was quite honestly surprised when, when you, you told me initially that you guys, you know, had, hadn't been posted apart and you're both lieutenant colonels. I sort of assumed like, okay, one's a pilot. If you're an, if you're an area, your husband's a pilot or something else yeah. in the airport. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you said artillery, I was like, Oh my goodness, that, that's impressive. Like it's impressive, you know, not just to someone on the outside, but to, you know, someone who's seen, you know, those types of um, relationships before and how challenging that can be. So um, it's always interesting to hear stories about people who have basically set their own boundaries, Mm -hmm. and, you know, how that is, you know, received positively or negatively. Um, But, but I think it's important to know that there are there are different ways to make things work within the environment.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, there's always a compromise that needs to be made. I think that's, that's clear in, in all of these situations. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to admit that in our case, the artillery has not always been very pleased with all of the (laughs) choices that we made. And, um, my husband has uh definitely stuck his neck out a few times in order for us to get the posting that um that we wanted um and you know took some risk with his progression right um but somehow ended up often ended up working for an artillery officer in a non artillery fashion hmm. and uh that supervisor would always be like, no, this is a great officer. This is somebody we need to keep broadening in the community. And so, you know, the fact that his, you know, his uh, CV, if you, if you will, doesn't look like a traditional artillery officer
0: hasn't,
1: um, is really starting to pay dividends now. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. he's the commander of the regional cadet support unit for Ontario. Um, and when he did that interview, you know, he, the fact that he had such a, a vast and broad experience base was what was interested, like what made them interested in his candidacy. So, right. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the artillery um, did have to make some significant concessions, um, but uh, ended up working out for us.
0: I'm I'm happy to hear that. So I will switch uh switch gears a little bit and go go backwards and say, you know, what um what would you say was, you know, one of the 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 greatest things you learned or experienced having gone to RMC? Like sort of how did that fit back in, you know, looking backwards?
1: <laughs> yeah. So for me, um the real Golden Nugget from RMC has been the network. Um, I'm still regularly surprised uh, when I show up somewhere and there's always a familiar face, whether that's somebody from your own year or somebody from a year above a year below. Um, but that network for me has served me really well um, in being able to remain connected in terms of when you have a tough question, you kind of always know somebody in the trade that you need support for. Um, But I think that has been, if I can, I've had some discussions about people going, choosing ROTP civilian university. And, um, you know, while RMC may not have the extent of, programs that other universities may offer I think that network if you're to have a military career is so invaluable um and yeah I I think that's really the the biggest thing that I've taken out of it um and that I still use regularly to to this day
0: right all right so I'll switch switch gears a little bit and uh, let's talk about mentorship (laughs) yeah so Tell me, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about the airy field, um, aerospace engineering, because you mentioned, so, I don't know why I had this impression, but it makes sense that it was flawed. I had this impression probably because a few of my classmates were in the airy field, that there was at least a few more women in it than some of the other fields but given that it's an engineering field it probably makes sense that it's really not that more it's just there were only 3 of us that were taking electrical and chemical engineering or electrical yeah. and computer engineering in my class and there were a few more that were taking mechanical so i sort of associated that ratio with the field
1: <laughs> so the air train I don't i don't know the exact numbers but we we have been in the past a larger women's trade than the national average of trades okay. Okay. Uh, we do have a, f- a higher level of fe- of females um however um well first of all we are a very large trade we're over 600 um people in the trade um which you know in comparison to is considerably larger than other officer trades yeah um and we do have a higher proportion of, of females. The Where we struggle is uh, producing higher ranking females. There's been a few studies uh, done, um, namely uh, Lieutenant or Colonel Tanya Maurice. Uh, did, she was Airy and now she's an air ops officer, but she had done a lot of studies on that, uh, on her JCSP uh, paper okay. with regards to um, women retention and how it varies from men retention mm-hmm. and some of the statistical analysis. Um, I don't remember if she went specifically into airy, but um, if my memory serves me right, the airy trade loses proportionately more Uh, Women at the end of the, um, like at the 20 and now likely the 25 year mark. Um, The other part of ARI is that in general, we are a trade that suffers from a very high rate of attrition. Mm -hmm. Mostly because we are, we produce very attractive people to industry. Yeah. So whether that well industry or the public service right um, we're we and I think you know part of me says we need to look at that in a positive manner because that means we're very marketable, employable. Yeah. Um, however, that means we have to constantly regenerate ourselves at right. a very high rate. Um, but for some reason we've struggled in the past to create, female colonels so we had our mm-hmm. first female cor- colonel um who finished as a major general nance Tabli. oh yes. but between her um and then two new female colonels we had last year there was nobody
0: oh my goodness we
1: didn't so there's I and i don't know how long that was but you know from the time that she uh General Nance Tomdi was promoted colonel until we had the next colonel. There was at least um I would say seven years. I was seven gonna say definitely more than
0: five years, yeah.
1: Um, which is significant, but I, I think there's there's two pieces to that. The Air Trade has a very low percentage of kernels per capita, if you can call it that way in right. terms of statistically, we have less kernels than many of the other trades right? Um, comparatively to our size. So our pyramid is very much mm. um, it, the slope increases
0: or, or flattens
1: sense. at the kernel at the kernel level. Right. Um, and the other part of that is that we have a high level of service couples in which, you know statistically speaking often the, it's the female who's decided to end their military career to support the man right um, and so yeah i think there's lots of factors in play but now you know it's really exciting cuz this summer we had our third female colonel all serving at the same time which is you know as as a woman growing into that trade it's really it, it's important i mean i think yeah. representation matters and this is really encouraging for many of us.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Some of the things you've talked about are, are some of the things I've seen. I, I'm in, uh, I, I, my, my day job is in engineering at General Motors. And, uh, a few years ago, um, there was, some work done by Mary Wells, who's currently the Dean of Engineering at Waterloo. Um, And I believe it was Mary that had sort of, was working with the researchers on this to identify, they called it the leaky pipeline. And it wasn't just like, I think some of the same things would apply in the military as to, to industry where, you know, they would graduate this certain number of women engineers but, you know, all through the pipeline, you know, from, from batch, like first getting them into university, then, you know, the number that graduate from a bachelor program. And then they also looked on the academia side of masters and PhDs, but to the percentage that we're still working, you know, 20 to 25 years yeah. later in that technical field, it, it just drops off significantly. And yeah, the attrition rates are yeah it's it's you know it's disheartening <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> to, to those of us that that aren't dropping off and and trying to you know trying to understand sort of what are the what are the factors you know i saw something that um i think it was mckinsey had done a study um or a, a company had brought um Actually, I don't know if it was McKinsey. They had brought a consulting company in to look at their the number of women in, you know, that were making it to partner. I think it was actually a consulting company. We're trying to figure out why they didn't have as many P, as many women making it to partner. And when their the people they had hired to, to look at it tried to actually like point them in the direction of. It's not about, like, it's about the work environment you're creating to actually make it to partner. You've got to travel all the time. You've got to do this. It's not just women that you're, you know, sort of kicking out by doing things like this. There are men, too, that don't want that type of lifestyle. And but it it, for the article I read, I remember the, the the end result was they actually made no changes because the answer wasn't the answer they wanted to do anything about. And yeah. it, it can be just so hard to sort of change, you know, the systemic way certain things are run in order to, you know, improve it for everybody. Like that that's, I think one of the things that I I've learned over the last like 10 years in, in looking more at some of these things is, you know, when we when we put in policies that that make it better for women, it makes it better for everybody that, you know, some of the policies are for mothers. Well, it makes it better right. for fathers, too. <laughs> and, you know, things yeah. like that. So, yeah, no,
1: I fully agree. I mean, I've it's probably an argument that I've used so many times every time, um, you know, there's there's an in the military. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a defense women's advisory group yes. um, and they, you know, the, the group, I mean, basically it's just a rep to represent different, you know, minority groups within the CAF. Um, and you, and the goal is that we will bring initiatives forward. You know, women will write initiatives that could change some of the policies. Well, most of the time when, when those policies have changed, everybody's benefited because yeah. while it's an initiative that's brought forward by a woman the outcome of it doesn't necessarily mean it benefits women only right um and the same goes for all the other defense advisory groups whether they be um you know the lgbtq uh ones or um i don't remember the other ones but there's a few i think there's five or six different advisory groups um and really like the the whole concept is just that sometimes when you have a little bit of you know similar views that can bring something forward there's a little bit more horsepower to get some of these things moving um and but it becomes more inclusive for everybody
0: Yeah, we have, we have something similar, um, where we have ERGs, employee resource groups, Mm. and they're really, you know, I, I belong to the military ERG, go figure. Um, but you know, the, they're really about, you know, providing a group where you have like, um, you know, people who have maybe gone through similar experiences, whether it's, we have, um, we have an, um, an Asian, um, Asian and Southeast Asian group. We have, you know, African-American descent group, and we have the women's, um, the women's network, but we have 12 different groups. Um, and, you know, really from indigenous persons, the, um, accessibility GM plus is our LG, LGBTQ, um, group as well. And so, you know, those, those voices now have direct access through their chairs you know to um the leaders of the company to to share you know different ideas and initiatives that can yeah like, and identify
1: can... barriers that are yeah. are invisible to some um, yeah. until you're in part of that group and living through those barriers um yeah no, but they're I think they're key and really important
0: yeah. For, uh, yeah, no. And I, I think I don't think I personally realized the importance they had earlier in my career. And I I don't know. I, I've talked to a few people that are, you know, a little closer to my generation that when you know women's groups first came, it was like, oh, I didn't want to be associated because I just wanted to fit in. And yeah. I think it was when there's been this change, I'd say in the last decade from a notion of integration to inclusion and I think that transition I think has been a, a positive thing
1: yeah I, I think um, as leaders and this is you know I've had many discussion with a few junior Aries that have just graduated from their course recently and that's kind of my message is really like you we need to lead with authenticity now Um, I mean, we should have always been able (laughs) to do that. Um, But in the past, like we always, you know, there was much more of a sense of need to kind of assimilate. Yes. um, and, And nobody wanted to draw attention to ourselves, whether positive or negative attention. But now I think it's really more about just being who you are and, and embracing that as a leader. And I think, you know what i'm what i'm hopeful of is when i see my subordinates realize that i may not be the leader they thought they wanted right but then they discover that that's just me and they're happy to have just me and to be fair i would never be able to not be myself as a leader that facade would crack you know <laughs> probably right away yeah <laughs> um but I, I think that um, the embrace of the institution to want people to lead authentically is key
0: to to progress. It's it's interesting you mentioned you know talking to some of the junior areas. So how how has mentorship been for you? And you know how how do you see that as a mentor as well?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, so the airy trade I, I don't know how long they've been doing this but um when are succession managed they have a formal mentorship program for which um once you're identified you're assigned an airy colonel that is your mentor and they they also play a role of kind of i wouldn't say career manager but they kind of help you guide you into like okay what next job next position um and you benefit, I think, as a mentee as much as you're willing to invest into that relationship. Right. I've really tried to embrace it and have like, not just, this is my next step kind of discussions, but really trying to understand how to grow as a mm-hmm. leader and the yeah. like. So for me, it's, I've really found those relationship beneficial. As far as a mentor, for me, um, I've, I, I still feel that Apart from that formal mentorship, once you're identified as succession and managed, there really isn't um something in place the area trade is is looking at trying to broaden that um we've just they've just recently started a teams group um where as a lieutenant colonel, we're asked to post our uh biographies and then mm-hmm. um I guess the intent the intent is that people will go and kind of search all the bios. And if they see somebody who has has done something you're interested in doing, then it's an open door to reach out to ask questions to develop kind of that relationship. But otherwise, um, now as a CEO, I have a few areas that work for me. And I'm really trying to get to the opportunity to get to know those individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, One of my Lieutenants is actually just recently gonna be uh, gonna be posted very shortly. And so I I I actually met with her last week and I just kind of shared like my goal to build a relationship with the Aries within TAC Aviation and that, you know, if she does happen to have questions or wants to have a discussion, um, you know, at least now she has a face to put to the name and right. you know, opening that door to reaching out and having those kind of discussions and I've tried to do that throughout my career and still try to link in with a few of those individuals on an opportunity basis to to kind of see how they're doing and and continue to offer them an opportunity if they want to get my perspective because I think mentorship is about trying to get several different perspectives even if it on the same problem set to try right. and assess what works best for you yeah um cuz mentorship you know if you only I think if we only get the per- perspective of one person like we're not necessarily growing we're just kind of becoming that yeah that person
0: them 2.0 <laughs> yeah
1: exactly <laughs> uh but yeah no it's um it's been really good and for me just recently, I um I've been assigned a new mentor, but I I took advantage of knowing that I would have to change mentor because my mentor got promoted to general, um, to to seek a, a person that I was hoping to get to know a little bit more. And nice. in this case, I did request um one of our female colonels to be my mentor more because I think on a personal basis she she has more in common with me and maybe somebody I can bounce ideas. She's in a service couple. She has some children Mm -hmm. uh, versus previously. My mentors have been more um, community-based. So tactical aviation areas. um, And so had a bit more of the, the trade structure that I wanted to pursue. And in this case, I kind of went more on the personal route and I'm excited to see how that relationship can grow.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think, there's there's room for both kinds of mentorship right where you know there's I think as as we we grow in our careers you know we need different mentors for different problems as well like you said right and getting Mm -hmm. different perspectives um so it's I mean, it's great that you have now the option to have a, a female mentor, especially at the this level. I think that's that's always fantastic and nice to see, and obviously something that was a bit of a a, a bit of a um, a challenge, you know, for maybe your mentor, you know, uh, might have been more of a challenge for her to have female mentorship as she was going up yeah. based on what you just told me yeah, about the yeah, trade. For sure. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm curious, um, we didn't talk a lot about sort of what you've done between military college and now. So what has your career looked like? What is your progression being and what have been some of the highlights of that?
1: I mean, so I I, I joined, you know, the, the tactical aviation community of um, of the airy uh, trade. Uh, so my first posting was at 430 Squadron uh, in Valcartier as the Deputy Senior Engineering Maintenance Officer there, the SAMIO. Um, and uh, when I landed there, it was you know the heavy years of Afghanistan. We had just mm-hmm. deployed the Griffin uh, in theater. I think the year before it was 2009 when I, when I got there. Um, And so from basically the moment I set foot there, I was replacing my major um, because they were deployed to Afghanistan. So my learning curve was huge, but I, I gave a lot of credit to the reserve force that existed at the unit Because when I got there, they were essentially what was still there. Right. Um, So we had a handful of helicopters. I had a handful of reserve technicians. um, And we did what we could. But um, it was steep learning curve, but an amazing experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in January 2010, um, Haiti had the massive earthquake. I don't know if you remember. I do.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And that was at the same time we were preparing to host the Olympics. So tactical aviation was extremely busy. Um, We had, you know, Afghanistan, the Olympics, and then now Haiti. And so having just joined the community, a new graduate, I was the one that was at home. And I remember on a Friday, I told my boss, my Samuel, I said, "Um, if you're looking for somebody, I'm available. Right. She said, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, I went home for the weekend, and I came home that Monday. Came back to work on Monday, and she just looked at me and She's like, "You're it. Six hours notice to move. Get your stuff. You're going on the plane." Oh my so goodness! I was um, I was nine months since graduation of uh, my Airy trade training and uh, getting ready to deploy. I remember going home packing all my bags, uh, showing up back at work to get on into a van. We were driving to Trenton and we didn't really know when we were going to leave, but we ended up staying, I think a, a day or two in Trenton before we got loaded on a C-17 and flown to Port-au-Prince. So um, that was, um, that was definitely, you know, uh, a highlight of my career. That deployment yeah. it was a small deployment, but very austere conditions. Yeah. Um you know hard rations tentage uh uh for you know a month and a half uh short but uh really really rewarding and eye opening for me right um so I completed uh 2 years at 430 squadron before we got posted to Kingston um I went to one wing headquarters my husband went to RMC as a squadron commander so that okay. was uh, interesting yeah. Um, yeah we spent four years in Kingston I was at the headquarters we had uh, our two oldest kids in Kingston great experience I was able to work on the implementation of the new Chinook squadron um, okay. when we we bought the new Chinooks uh, in 2013 um, after that got Posted to Montreal, did a quick stop there for a year, and then got posted to Valcartier again. By then, I was promoted major, posted to Valcartier again, um, now as the SAMEO. From there, I, I got the opportunity to deploy to Iraq. Oh. Uh, so I went to Iraq in 2018, and that summer, I came home. We got posted to Toronto, went to JCSP, my husband and I together. Uh, so we did that and then got posted to Ottawa in 2019. I was 20 weeks pregnant when we got posted to Ottawa. So I went to DGAPM for a little bit, had my child, and then um, I took advantage, then COVID hit, but we took advantage of the 18 month parental leave, which was amazing. Um, And uh, yeah, I I did two years as executive assistant to DGAPM
0: and then here. Wow so quite a quite quite the the different opportunities that you've had um going through all those different ones you know is there advice that you would like to give to others you know as you're talking about you know your career or your life yeah. you know life in general
1: i i think for me and this is um i I've, I've told a few again junior aries is follow what you your interests are mm-hmm. uh what i love of the airy trade is there are there's such a breadth of things that we can do different opportunities uh be that you know, operationally engineering focused and and even other things that are not necessarily out within the hardcore air trade and too many times i've heard still people mention you know if you pick this path you're going to be stuck in that path
0: but um
1: take every opportunity and follow what you're really passionate about because I think when we choose those opportunities we tend to perform significantly better because we actually enjoy what we're doing and the rest of the results follow through right um when we focus too much on choosing what we think is the best option for our career we may not end up performing at the level that we should because it's not something we want to do right you know even these last two years as the executive assistant I have I enjoy that job every day it didn't feel like work it was so fun I learned so many things but it's a job people tend to be reticent to try and seek obviously being an EA is is as fun as the person you are an EA for like a lot of it depends on them but if if it's a leader that you trust and a leader that you enjoy working with it can be so rewarding um, to do that and I I I really enjoyed it Um, but yeah don't be afraid to just pick the path that you feel passionate about and the rest will follow. And I think we focus success too much on promotions Mm -hmm. and not just about having a fulfilling career for yourself. My previous boss used to say every time he handed out a promotion, he says, you know, promotion is not a reward, but a sign that the institution trust that you can take on more right and I always found that interesting um in fact this Friday I did my first three promotions ever oh wow uh, which was really exciting for me yeah and I said that because I think it's important to not just focus on the fact that it's not necessarily a reward um and and it is you know an increased trust that the institution gives to you um and it doesn't have to be seen it shouldn't be seen by everybody like this is something everybody should want not right. everybody wants it and not everybody needs that either in their life to be to feel fulfilled
0: yeah it's uh i think it's uh, it's great advice and uh, a a great thing for for people to keep in mind. I I know uh, I've had some interesting, similar conversations in my workplace about knowing what, just knowing what your people, what matters to your team members, right? For some, you know, the promotion is what matters. For some, it's the pay. For some, it's the title. And understanding, A, having your understanding it for yourself <laughs> mm-hmm. but also you know having that knowledge of of your team and you know what is the right next step for them is I think uh, a a good leadership uh trait to have
1: <laughs> yeah I I think if there's something else that I think all too often we do is we which we tr- I think it's part of us being empathetic but it, we all too often try and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and say, and assume what other people would want out of a situation instead of just asking (laughs) them, what do you want? And so, you know, we, we tend to make decisions based on what, you know, our own biases or unconscious biases most of the time with all the best intentions in mind, but we, we think, oh, you know, they probably don't want to do this deployment because they just had a child or right. they, you know, but sometimes that's an erroneous assumption on yeah. people. and But we need to take the time to ask, especially when we're faced, when our subordinates are faced with a difficult decision,
0: mm-hmm. they need
1: to make the decision for themselves. Um and we don't all want the same things out of our careers so we we need to just open the doors to asking people what they want yeah
0: yeah no i think it's a very uh, it's 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 an interesting thing cuz i think again something that happens in industry as well where assumptions get made and yeah just ask the person it's not, yeah. it's not a tough thing to do yeah. the answer might not be easy to come to but you know giving people the option you know the opportunity to, to provide you with that yeah is uh it's pretty important mhm well sarah i want to thank you so much for uh coming on the podcast um i'm looking forward to our listeners getting to to hear a bit more about your experiences and uh thank you so much thank you this has been fun thank you for joining us today on the women's mentoring network of canada podcast check out our new website at wmncanada.ca to find links to all our previous seasons and episodes. We've also added a blog where we'll keep you updated on upcoming news and events and give you a chance to leave comments about each episode. For links to websites mentioned on today's episode, please go to the episode notes page under Season 4 and check out the episode number. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, Please send an email through the Be a Guest link on the top of our website. Thanks for listening.